0: Welcome to Family Office Connections. I'm Edward Marshall, Managing Director here at Boston Private. My guest today is Steve Badertha, founder and CEO of FlexBridge Partners. Steve will walk us through an interesting and increasingly discussed topic fee intelligence for family offices. I'm also joined by my colleague Jason Kane, who runs our Center for Wealth Planning at Boston Private. Thanks, Jason.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Eddie. Looking forward to having this conversation with Steve. This is one of the topic areas that I think almost every family office should focus on. Great deal of value can be uh, acquired through this process.
0: So the three of us will talk about the concept of fee intelligence today, how it works, how family offices are driving value and potentially saving money from such evaluations. And briefly touch about how the pandemic and the current market conditions fit into the fee intelligence picture.
2: Let's get underway. Steve, uh, give us a quick snapshot of your background. Uh, thanks, Eddie. Thanks to Boston Private for having me on today. Uh, so coming out of college as a government major, I worked in investment banking for a couple of years, and, and then I went back and got my MBA at Harvard. I spent an extra year there doing research and writing cases for the investment management class. Uh, from there, I returned to Wall Street in the institutional markets and derivatives business. I got an appointment to start a new group with a mission to bring the benefits of financial innovation to, to individual investors. And then over a number of years, I came to oversee all investment products and advice uh, in a major wealth management firm. I moved in 2019 to a global private bank with a similar focus, and then I started my firm, FlexBridge Partners, in 2017. Thanks. So uh, how did you get uh,
0: started with building your current firm? I mean, you give us a little bit of background. What what was the real inspiration there?
2: Right. Well, so when I decided to go out and create my own practice, um, I tried to think about and focus on the things that I had done in my career that I enjoyed, uh, where I had also made a contribution that mattered and that had been uh, commercially successful. And kind of the theme that came out of that thought process was, the idea of tackling problems worth solving uh, in investments, markets, and wealth management. And and that's that's what I'm doing. And fee intelligence is a, a primary example of this. Great. Is this uh, the first
0: time that you've kind of dug into the cost of investing and in, in advice in your
2: career? Uh, no, it's actually not the first time. It's it's a little bit of a return to an earlier focus in my career. Um, after getting my MBA, I spent... I spent a year, as I said, uh, writing cases uh, in the investment management course, Um, and a lot of that work that year was focused on the costs, understanding the costs of trading, really investment implementation, Um, and the idea is you could have the greatest investment selection models in in the world, but when you go to execute, when you go to implement, uh, you can sometimes give all that value away. So that was that was actually a very hot topic among institutional investors and still is today in some circles. That work led to a job I created at a Wall Street firm to do research and build models to measure and anticipate the cost of investment and trading strategies for clients. So that was well received and it was a really good first lesson in the value of transparency in client relationships And uh, the way I've come to think about it is that transparency is not just a process point or a nice thing to say. It actually has a tangible and substantial economic value.
0: Great. Let's talk about the the concept of fee intelligence itself. Could you define that for us?
2: Yeah. So fee intelligence is a private service uh, that is both an analysis and a consultation. Uh, Fee intelligence gives the clients a fully transparent and complete accounting of what they're paying in investment fees. It also gives clients insights about how they can derive better value and accountability for the fees that they do pay. Great. And let's talk about a case
0: study. How does this work in in practice?
2: Yeah. So I'll I'll begin my case study with with, uh, a little bit of the story of how it got started. Uh, it grew out of a conversation I was having with a very successful serial entrepreneur and venture investor a couple of years ago. And in the middle of talking about investments, he stopped and said, I, I really like my private wealth advisors, but my wife and I don't have a good handle on what we're paying in fees and whether those fees are reasonable. Can you help us figure this out? Um. So I, I was a little surprised by this because I, I, I know this couple is smart and on the ball and successful, um, p- probably you know, focused on other things uh, on a day to day basis than focusing on their investment fees. Uh, so I, I, I had the impression this kind of went against my notion that they would know and have under control pretty well what fees they were paying and that they would feel comfortable with that. But but uh, that was not the case. So what were the results
0: uh, in that particular instance?
2: Yeah, so this initial case, uh, uh, I was able to save, uh, help this client save $400,000 a year in recurring fees. So, um, and since they're recurring, I think it's reasonable to say that over the next 10 years, they stand to save something on the order of $4 million uh, or more. So Steve, for, you know, for the
0: 400000 uh, in fees that you mentioned that you saved at your client, uh, how did you go about doing that? How did you complete that?
2: Right. So um, to take this through the finish line, I, I showed the client uh, a detailed breakdown and total of the fees they were paying. And this was a big reveal for them. It was the first time they had seen a full accounting of their fees in dollars and cents. I was able to walk them through what was a fair and reasonable. Pricing for the products and services they were receiving based on my experience and understanding of what's available in the marketplace, and in this case, fees had not gotten much attention for a number of years, so this client was paying a lot more in fees. People talk about institutional versus retail pricing. Um, you know this client was uh, deserving of uh, high uh, individual pricing but uh, or even institutional pricing but um in many cases, almost paying, I'll say retail list pricing. So uh, I prepared the client uh, and gave them a one-page summary of the key data. The client provided this data to their private wealth advisor. The client explained to the advisor that they really valued their relationship and that they wanted to stay in that relationship. But they also asked, the client asked that their fees be adjusted to be brought into line with current market practice. The advisor offered to, in effect, split the difference with the client, but then readily agree to the client's proposed fee adjustments after the client iterated its desire to stay in the relationship, provided that the fees would be fully adjusted to be fair, reasonable, and competitive.
1: Steve, those those fee numbers are very large numbers. Is this something that you typically see when uh, you begin working with clients?
2: So you're you're right. Uh, That's a large amount. And and I was surprised, too, um, from from this work. Uh, But as I've handled more client cases, um, I think it's fair to say that that's not going to be a one time outlier. I think there will be uh, a number of cases where the annual savings will amount to six figures um, and there will be quite a lot of cases involving tens of thousands of dollars a year of potential savings for wealthy investors.
1: And I would expect that that would be the case, too. And, and transparency is always uh, an issue when trying to determine uh, fees. And I think that's the, the the more important component, trying to determine the, the mechanics of this process. How do you go through uh, figuring out what they're paying, how they're paying, and what they should be paying?
2: Yeah, so, so really important to try and keep it simple, given that this is, uh, for a lot of folks, something that can seem complex. Uh, or hard to focus on and, and, and seem opaque. So a first step was to put a confidentiality agreement in place. And then the client provided me, I asked the client and they provided me with an itemized list of their investment holdings. Then I created a, a template, a simple spreadsheet that was given to their financial advisors, along with a request to fill in the blanks where a complete list of fee categories were displayed. So that's where you start asking questions about, are, are we being charged this fee? Are we being charged that fee? Very often, the client has a, a preferred way of, of of looking at or seeing a report uh, on their investments, and I had to build off of that. So in this case, I coached the client to use this fee template I had created to engage their financial advisors patiently and persistently until we had complete information on fle- on fees. And you can think of, about that as leaving no fee stone unturned.
1: And the the $400,000 $400, in fee uh, that were saved in this instance, h- how did you come about uh, presenting that to the investment uh, firm and working through the, with the dynamics of, of telling a firm that they're overcharging your client?
2: Well, a lot, a lot of this is um, really reveal, revealing the information, uh, revealing uh, sometimes uh, something I refer to as the fee iceberg, and it's in the course of the dialogue uh, that actually helps surface this issue in a constructive way. Uh, for for example, what what might seem obvious but is actually not obvious is how to ask questions about the fees to get a complete and transparent answer. So there are many types of fees that can be charged on financial advice and products, and often there are multiple layers of fees on a single investment. Um, and that's that's why uh, the fee iceberg analogy may be a good one.
1: Well, can I expand on that question? Uh, do this, this is complex stuff. Um, Clients have difficulty ascertaining it. I, I'm sure advisors do too. Do you find that it's, um, it's just because of the nature, the complexity of, of uh, delivering these services that these fees get, um, let's say, out of whack? Or is, is it uh, intentional? Or is it just because of, the, uh, of what all the moving pieces, it's really hard to wrap your hands around everything?
2: So Jason, I th- I think it's fair to say, and probably all of your listeners will um I'm, I'm guessing they might nod their heads at uh um the observation that there is a wide variety of degrees of alignment, I will say, between advise different advisors and their clients. And so um uh so it's really important and, and the intelligence service is is a good way of getting at this, uh I find. Uh, To really figure out if there is that alignment and a lot of times the better the alignment the more transparent Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean low fees. Uh, You know, this is really about uh, Getting good value for the fees that uh, a client is paying. Steve, what do you mean by good value? Yeah, so I think about value in the, in the broadest sense, the value of advice in the broadest sense. Certainly, investment performance is an important component of that, uh, but it's not the only one. Uh, to me, the value of advice can include wealth and estate planning, goal setting, asset allocation, uh, balance sheet management, risk management, tax efficiency, access to resources, uh, and, and coaching, particularly on the financial side of many decisions in life. So helping clients make better decisions can mean a whole lot more than picking this investment or that investment. Now, the, the, now I'll say that the, the value of some of these things can be hard to measure, but my experience uh, allows me to help clients get a much firmer grasp of their fees and their costs. And that gives them a stake in the ground, really an anchor that makes it easier for them to judge the value of what they're getting versus the cost and make adjustments if it's called for
0: so uh Steve, do you ever walk into a situation where there's no uh potential for fee savings uh
2: yes, I do and uh i try- I try to identify that as quickly as I can um I want this service to be something consistent with its uh uh with its theme of really itself being a service that provides a lot of value for the fees that I charge so Um, Yes, there are investors um, where I have a quick look at things and it's pretty clear that they're already um, they're already uh, not being charged much at all in the way of fees. so, But that's not the majority of cases. Uh, some investors, I, I will uh, say they'll, they'll say, well, I, I check pricing, you know, when I'm doing a significant transaction. And I think that helps keeps things in check. Uh, but and that kind of occasional or selective checking is useful. But often it doesn't provide you with assurance that you're paying fair fees as a whole uh, or on the line items in your relationship.
0: So, Steve, in these types of instances, who's usually the one that initiates the conversation? Is it the, you know, an advisor or member of the family office, the principal, the wealth holder? How does it typically work on your end?
2: Yeah, so I've had both wealth owners uh, and advisors, whether it's you know, family, single family office advisors, multifamily office advisors, initiate conversations. Uh, but they tend to come at it from different angles, um, as you might expect. For the wealth owner, They are usually trying to get a complete grasp of what their advisors and their underlying investments are costing them and what value they're getting from those. Uh, Advisors are naturally more focused on assessing the costs and benefits of various investments so that they can make more informed recommendations to their clients.
1: I was just going to expand upon that. How often do you find that um, that Wealth owners have difficulty determining exactly what they're paying.
2: Well, uh, back to the, the story and the case that got this all started. Um, I think a, a lot of them have difficulty. And, 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 and so it's, it's important to understand, of course, that for the most part, uh, you know, these fees are disclosed. But that doesn't mean they are easy to uh, to really see and to really aggregate and see in their totality in dollars and cents. So a lot of fee discussions occur in sound bites, in partial sound bites. Uh, people talk about basis points, um, and it has a way of not really hitting the nail on the head when it comes down to wait a minute, what is this costing me in, in total?
1: Do you, and one other follow-up question there, do you sense that this is getting better? Uh, or, uh, I mean, over the course of your career in, in a great number of in- industries, we've had this, you know, push towards transparency. Um, what's your sense as to the industry and its, its attempts to solve some of these issues?
2: Well, there certainly uh, has been uh, both an industry focus uh, and I would say across uh, wealth management models um, and, and from regulators uh, on increasing transparency. Um, I, I would say it's, it's arguably more complex than ever because you have um, certainly uh, very uh, pure models uh, that forswear uh, any other fees other than the advisory fee that they're charging. Um, and generally speaking, those will be uh, um, pretty transparent on, on their face. Um, but there are, but in the interest of actually tapping into the full universe of financial products and services that are out there, sometimes, yeah, you know, obviously that a lot of the uh, other kinds of business models still um, are responsible for a lot of client wealth. and that's when you start seeing mixing of models, which which can be a very good thing uh, for clients, but it also brings up the potential for ambiguity. Another theme here, of course, is that as as fee compression takes place in certain areas, uh, fee expansion uh, can take can start to take place pop up in other areas. So um, as you've seen commissions on stock trades come down um, and other types of pricing pressures, uh, you see different types of uh, wealth organizations, private wealth organizations, uh, adjusting their model a little bit to to be economically viable. And so that can create other types of uh, of of fees that weren't necessarily observed in the past.
1: Uh, I um, imagine that you uncover some you know difficult scenarios between uh individuals' family offices and their advisors um, how How do you navigate through those discussions
2: yeah, so, so um well a couple of things let let me let me first mention a couple of obstacles that typically come up and 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 how I try to address them. Um, One of the most important challenges I try to help clients with is communication with the advisor on this topic of fees. Um, However smart or successful they are, most clients are just not up to speed, and and I'll say nor should they be with much of the vernacular, uh, the vocabulary of the financial advice industry. Um, And so uh, that should be made much more simple and readily understandable. Good advisors usually do that. One of the things I try to do is help translate, uh, simplify, and sort out the signal from the noise in what the client is being told about fees. Um, And I try to do this in a way that does not disrupt the client's life, um, their day-to-day relationships, and and including the relationship with the advisor. Uh, So sometimes clients will rely on me to coach them so that they can have this conversation with their advisor. In other cases, uh, clients will bring me into the conversation uh, with the advisor um, and, and what I, I would add to that um, the idea here is that you know sometimes it can get um, it, it can get awkward at first um, and uh, pr- particularly in cases where perhaps there should have been more transparent communication about fees in an existing advisor client relationship um, but that said um, what what sometimes those sensitivities ignore is that most clients can tell when they're not being dealt with in a transparent way and they don't like it. So that's the kind of relationship that actually is at risk. Uh, And uh, so uh, while in the short term, there might be some awkwardness uh, from raising this issue. um, Actually, my objective is to land and help the client land better and more productive relationship with the advisor. And that's in all likelihood going to be more enduring uh, for the advisor as well. Uh, That's a client that's less at risk of of leaving that advisor. That's what I aim to do and that's been the experience uh, so far with with fee intelligence. And and just I'll add
1: one thing there that um, that likely creates a more um, connected bond when you go through this with an advisor and, and start to recognize that you're all on the same side of the table.
2: Right. And, and this is why the whole balancing or bringing into the equation, what's the value of the advice, as tough as that can be to manage it, actually allows that conversation to get on the table as well. Uh, So a lot of times those discussions about value, what the advisor is doing for the client, are constrained, I I think, incorrectly to just focus on, well, did you beat the the index this quarter? Uh, Properly framed, uh, clients can be getting a whole lot more value than that from these advisory relationships. So it just makes sense to put much more on the table. I think the fear of the awkwardness around fees Uh, sometimes actually limits a more robust discussion about uh, a a mutually productive relationship. And uh, so I so I think um, bringing this out out into the open uh, in a in a private setting between the client and the advisor um, actually is going to be progress for for both parties. So, Steve, I mean, you talked about some of the, you know, potential
0: uh, conversations and awkward conversations and situations that 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 might arise. What what other obstacles um, are you facing when you're trying to overcome uh, some of the issues that you've been talking about today?
2: Right. So, so it's one thing to really get that complete accounting and gone through some of the reasons why that is not just a snap of the fingers. Um, and how communication is, is important to handle that the right way to get the information you're looking for. Um, once that information is surfaced, then, then sort of the question is what can be done about it? Are there opportunities for cost savings that can be acted upon? Um, and sometimes um, I observe uh, in these cases that there are obstacles that are uh, thought of, that are presented. Uh, that uh, to achieving those fee savings, uh, and they're kind of presented as showstoppers. Uh, So, uh, but in fact, these obstacles in many cases can be navigated. So a situation I run into, just to take one example, uh, is where an investor has very substantial unrealized capital gains in some investments that charge high fees, but that have been underperforming for a long time. So You know, in in most cases, you would think both the client and the advisor would say, well, let's figure out a way to transition to some other asset. Um, But sometimes you'll observe um, a conversation where the advisor is regretting unnecessarily that the client is somehow locked into this underperforming high fee investment because of the tax consequences of exiting. The client would have a significant tax liability if they sold it or exited so, firstly, it may actually make good economic sense for the client to exit and pay those taxes, uh, and that so that should not be a, in all cases an insurmountable barrier. And then, secondly, what fee intelligence clients generally develop through the service is an increased awareness of strategies for mitigating such obstacles, uh, so that they aren't showstoppers and they can actually achieve some transition in their in their portfolios that allow them to act on these cost savings and just move to a better place, both in terms of cost and value. So, Steve, let's go beyond
0: economics. And you mentioned and touched briefly on strategy. I mean, are there other elements, um, you know, and benefits uh, for your clients that you talk about that come from fee intelligence services beyond just cost savings?
2: Yeah. So, uh, Eddie, we know that there's this hard to measure question uh, of what's the value of the financial advice I'm receiving? What's the value of this advisory relationship and can I improve on it? Uh, What I'm finding is that bringing transparency and a complete uh, complete accounting of fees to clients unlocks more insight about the value of the advice the clients are getting and even about where there may be gaps or areas to improve the advice they're getting. Uh, A key part of of achieving this is the benchmarking process uh, in the fee intelligence service uh, through the process of benchmarking the cost and the benefits of the advice and the products and services that the client's currently using versus what's available in the marketplace, clients often learn a lot more about the choices and trade offs that are available to them. So, just having better awareness of their choices, having those fresh points of comparison, can provide a valid take on whether they're getting a lot of value or really not so much. One of the things uh, I like to try to do for my fee intelligence clients is give them a simple framework uh, that they can use, a template that they can use on an ongoing basis with their advisor to track the costs and the value of the advice they're receiving. I find that the ongoing use of this template can reinforce the advisor's accountability to the client, uh, help surface the value as well that the advisor is bringing and help focus the attention of the advisor where it should be which is delivering high value to the client for the fees that are being charged. So, Steve, the the intelligence
0: process in the traditional sense is is a continuous process and sort of has a feedback loop. And is is that what you mean by engaging and and, and interacting uh, with your clients in this manner?
2: Uh, yeah, I think that's a good analogy. Uh, fee intelligence uh, lifts the fog surrounding fees, meaning that clients are often seeing their complete fees for the first time. Uh, but obviously, like as with anything you're seeing for the first time, to really, in, really learn and benefit from that visibility, you need to keep observing, uh, looking for patterns and allowing good insights and actions to rise to the surface through your ongoing observation and discussion. Um, now, now, I will say uh, that I, I've designed the fee intelligence service to be fast acting. And uh, in many cases, clients are interested in uh, achieving a, uh, a quick reset where appropriate in the, in the value they get for the fees they pay. Uh, so I, uh, my clients typically get savings just in the first year that are a multiple of what my fees are. And, and that's consistent with my commitment to uh, improve value for fees paid in the financial advice industry.
1: Steve, this is Jason. I wanna go back to something you mentioned earlier on the the call. Um, You talked about a fee iceberg. Can you elaborate a little on that?
2: Yeah, sure. So looking at it from a a client perspective, you can see why advisory and investment fees can seem like a a little bit like an iceberg on a a dark and foggy night. And I will sometimes ask clients, uh, and it sometimes seems to be thought-provoking for them, um, just asking them, you know, what does your fee iceberg look like? Um, And and so even when these fees are disclosed, and they usually are, they can be really hard to see. Uh, And, um, you know, they'll be in a thick document, but they're in, in, in many ways beneath the surface and out of sight. So icebergs are quite large, hard to see, and can be hazardous to your health. Uh, in a very low interest rate world and in a potentially lo- low return environment, fees can really make the difference uh, between success and failure. And, and just to, if I can, just add a little bit more color on on why this isn't easy uh, for particularly for successful people with who are busy and focused on other things. Um, the number of different ways that fees can be charged is actually quite quite le- lengthy. Uh, So, of course, there's placement fees and commissions. There's potentially markups on security transactions. There are fees charged by the advisor, of course, in addition to the fees charged on underlying investments, custody and account fees, administrative fees, performance fees. And then uh, if there are costs to the investor that come indirectly, but which nonetheless are very real costs. For example, some investment managers share portions of their revenue with the financial advisors that place their products. So in these cases, the investment manager's fee paid by the client may be higher than it would otherwise be without the existence of that revenue sharing agreement. Uh, And there are other ways that investors effectively pay in fees. And one of those is when investors are paid a below market yield on their cash balances. So as I say, these will be referenced somewhere, in this disclosure document, but they're not almost ever or often tallied up and reported in dollars and cents, which is really what you need to do. Uh, And Jason, if I may, just to be clear about this, these fees may be completely appropriate and even smart for an investor to pay. Uh, What matters most is whether the investor is receiving good value for the fees they're paying. And it's really hard to figure that out unless you know what your fees are in dollars and cents.
0: So, fees. In terms of the, the pandemic and, and the markets and the geopolitical events that we're certainly all witnessing these these days, does that change any of this? Your conversations with clients as well.
2: Yeah. Well, um, as I think pe- people have a lot to focus on, uh, you know, in their families, uh, in the world, in the country. Uh, so obviously being respectful and giving uh, clients room to focus on those things uh, is important. But but I'd say uh, the relevance and the value is is still there in in a, in a couple of different ways. One is in times like these, uh, I think clients tend to consider or find out or both um, who is um, who are the really uh, strong and trusted resources, uh, advisors, helpers, friends uh, that they can turn to uh, in uh, times of stress. And just as we were saying before about how fee intelligence helps surface the alignment between the client and the advisor, um, this kind of stressful time can actually be exactly the right time to to uh, zero in on this and to make sure that you've got you know the right alignment with the people you're relying on. So I think it's uh, I think that's uh, uh, actually something that helps people kind of sort out and make sense and take stock. In uh, these are kind of environments. People like to take stock of where they are. And are they set up for, for success? Are they set up to make good decisions? Are they set up to achieve the things they want for, uh, for, their, for their family and their loved ones? Thanks, Steve. Uh,
0: you also mentioned building models earlier in our conversation today and doing some quant work uh, around uh, your fee intelligence practice. Is that something that you're, uh, you're doing here as well?
2: Yeah, I do think there's a a need for some fresh metrics uh, to help investors evaluate the value of investments and financial advice relative to the costs. Uh, In a recent article I published uh, at WealthManagement.com, I I propose a new measure called Return on Fees Invested, or RFI for short. The idea is that investors and advisors should receive greater value, should expect uh, greater value as they pay higher fees. Uh, for fans of investment math, it's, it's like a sharp ratio for fees. So the sharp ratio measures alpha or the return on an investment above the risk-free rate relative to the risk of an investment. With RFI, return on fees invested, instead, we're comparing the value add of, of an investment relative to the fees that are being charged. Uh, So, yeah, so I know and I know not everybody may agree with me on this, but I think the best wealth advisors of today and tomorrow uh, do focus and will focus significantly on how to get their clients the best value for the fees that are being paid. That's going to be an an even bigger part of how top advisors earn their fees going forward. And that's one of the core principles that's uh, that's running through my practice.
1: So Steve, this is Jason again. This has been absolutely fantastic. I'm of the opinion that almost every investor should uh, should look at something like this to help them determine costs and value. Uh, one one last question I have though is how do you formulate your fee when you're engaged by a, a family office or a client?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, in thinking about that, um, of course, I, want, I wanted this service and and kind of the 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 uh, uh, incentive alignments to be consistent with kind of the whole purpose of the service, right? So, so strong value for fees paid. So, what I what I what I've worked out basically uh, is that um, uh, my fee is a percentage of the client's first year savings, uh, and typically the client's savings will be recurring. Many of the fee savings will be recurring. So I, I uh, charge a percentage of the first year savings for the client. And I usually subject that to a minimum charge. Um, and that's just depending on complexity. And uh, just to cover the, cover the case where uh, I put a lot of uh, time and effort in with the client, the client chooses not to do anything. Uh, there's just a, a little bit of a, a safety net around that. But but again, even there, I try with every single client and prospect to size up the fee savings potential as quickly as possible because I want everybody to walk away uh, feeling like uh, if they do engage with me, that they've gotten really strong value for the fees that I charge.
1: So the the positive aspect of this from a cost perspective is that oftentimes there isn't really a net cost. There is a net savings when they've engaged you.
2: Yes, yep, that's exactly right. Fantastic.
1: Thank you very much for answering that.
0: Well, thank you, Steve, and I uh, really appreciate your, your thoughtful insights today. And thanks to for Jason uh, for joining me as well. Uh, if you get like to get in touch with Steve or have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at bostonprivate.com. I'd also recommend that you check out our website. You can find numerous resources, sign up for a newsletter, get this podcast, and much, much more right in your inbox. And you can learn how we help family offices. That website is bostonprivate.com forward slash family office. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Give us five-star ratings all across on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Uh, thank you again uh, to Steve and all of you for joining us. And that's it for today. Check back with us next week for a new podcast. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.
3: The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.